This is the Throstle Club with Norman Bartlam and Bob Downing. Well, hello and welcome to the Christmas special 2023 edition of the Throstle Club. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. It's only, yeah. It seems less than a fortnight since uh, you were doing that, Bob, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As usual, we'll be looking back on the long and illustrious history of West Bromwich Albion with stories of a particular interest for this festive time of the year. So we've got Bob... Uh, Billy's still with us, and Simon Wright couldn't no. get out of the studio, so he's still here. Yeah, yeah lock, lock me in for two weeks. Here. Yeah, he slept here for a fortnight. Yeah. Couldn't, <laughs> Bennett. No so, uh, loads of stuff coming up, really festive stuff, a lot of it quite light-hearted and light for the, this time of the year. We'll be boxing with Bobby Gould, we'll even be yep. throwing cabbages at Villa fans. Oh, what a great and, idea. Uh, We'll be finding out why somebody had 32 bottles of milk on his doorstep. <laughs> Good and Bennett. All will be revealed. We'll also be reliving some great moments in Albion's history. We'll be looking at a man, a fan, who saw Jeff Astle got his photograph at Mexico in the World Cup in 1970. Fantastic memory, that. And we'll also be recalling Old Trafford in 1978 and at Wembley 1993 great events for the Albion all that and more on the Throstle Club Let's start with the 45th anniversary of that sensational game at Old Trafford when West Bromwich Albion beat Manchester United in that fantastic 5-3 game back in 1978. 45 years ago, can you believe that, Bob? Oh, yeah. I, I can still hear Joel Sinstad's fabulous commentary even now. Can that, Well, I have to listen to that because, as I said before, I was on strike. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, just not me. I mean, the, the entire... Paper was on strike, so we were, I was members of the. Uh, I was a member of the National Union journalists, and I, they'd called us out. Um, so I didn't go to that match. So I mean, I, I like everybody else, watched it on television. Well, saw the re- recording. Saw the highlights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now. It's interesting that you actually admit to not being there because most Albion fans always claim yeah, that they yeah. were there. Now, there was 45,000 there that day, yeah. but if everybody who claims that they, they were there, there was probably about 200,000 there that, that <laughs> right, day. Yeah. Now, oh, one of the yeah. men who definitely was there was yeah. Brendan Batson, and I know that because I saw him playing on, on, on the pitch. <laughs> and then, as you know, he's just published his autobiography uh, with the help of Chris Lepofsky. And um, I met up with Brendan recently, and he talked about why he'd written the book in the first place. Well, I've been pestered by my kids and grandkids about telling my story. I was a bit reluctant to begin with, but this is really a record for my family. And the other thing was, many years ago with Cyril, when he launched his book, he said quietly to me, why don't you write your own book, Brendan, because you've got a slightly different story to tell. So here it is, I've finally done it, and it's been a a nice experience. Yeah, it's going well. I don't know, really. I think, um, yeah, well, I should say, people have expressed interest in reading it, and... um, the sales have gone, I think, reasonably well in a short space of time, so fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure it's going well, really. But uh, yeah, but Brendan then talked to us about the game itself, and obviously, of course, he's got some fond memories of the victory. Oh, very fond memories. I mean, that, that game lives in your mind forever, really, and the, um, the thing with it, I think back about Cyril and Laurie, 
no longer with us, you know, they had such an integral part to play in uh, that victory. So, yeah, it's uh, a lot of people say it's their favourite Albion game and it's just a pleasure being part of that team. Can you remember what, what was the atmosphere like in the dressing room after that? It must have been absolutely fantastic. Oh, it's buzzing. I think, I think even, in the, um, even in the Man United dressing room, I think they'll, they'll have realised that um, they were involved in a special game. Nobody likes to lose. But um, yeah, our, our dressing room was buzzing. I mean, we um, we felt even at half time we we equalised, made it three all just for half time. But Tony Brown had scored the equaliser, the last kick of the first half. But even there, even when we were behind, we felt that we were going to win this game. And second half proved that that proved to be correct. Mm -hmm. And some of the goals were world class, weren't they? Well, Lenny Cantillo's goal was fantastic. Goal, Laurie coming in um, from our left, their right, going across the pitch. Um, knocking into Cyril, who was literally parallel to the goal line on the edge of the box, and he just backheeled it. Lenny Cantello didn't have to break his stride, and he just smashed it. And good job the, the net was there, although that ball was still been travelling. Yeah. But I think the um, the icing on the cake was really Cyril's the fifth goal because four three, you know, you never know one goal behind, you never know that they they could have got equal, but that just crushed them. Um, the fifth goal, and Cyril had been thwarted by Gary Bailey throughout the yeah. the game, and uh, yeah. that was just a fantastic goal he scored and. Um, that pose of his was so typical of Cyril. Of I think that's a pose that they use on the on the tram here in uh, yeah. in uh, in, um, yeah. in Birmingham. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a great game and a great finish from a great player. And of course, it's on TV. It highlights on the telly as well. So there wasn't so much TV football in them days, was there? So the whole nation saw that the next day. And Albert, yeah, Albert, th Albert was the talk of the football world. Wasn't yeah, it? I mean, to, to see eight goals is yeah. unusual. You you see plenty of um, goals, and you, I think you've seen more. Um, high scoring goals at the moment, high scoring games at the moment, but at the time, you know, that 5 3, uh, people that I spoke to afterwards said when they'd heard it, um, they were listening to the, 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 uh, the game and through the half time, couldn't wait for the second half to begin. And then yeah. they, they thought to see a lot more goals again in the second half, but thankfully we managed to keep the clean sheets for the second yeah, half and get the two goals to make it 5 3. And the comment, Gerald Sinstat's commentary. Yeah, and he was the one, the only one at the time um, that I remember um, making reference to the sort of racial abuse that uh, we were getting yeah. um, and whilst it wasn't pleasant it was something that just um, we ignored Laurie Seale myself and, and all the black players of that era as well you know just had to get on with it but it wasn't pleasant and the um, commentators won't make any reference to it so mm -hmm. for Gerald Sent uh, Sensat to, 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 to make reference yeah. to it was um, you know great credit to him uh, to, to bring it to the fore. Yeah some good memories there from Brendan Batson I think. Mm. Now, the interesting thing about that side as well it, they were all English, all, all English players, with the exception of Ali Rob, who was obviously the, the token right, yeah, Scotsman yeah, there yeah. Yeah. That, that game. And you, you, you were there, I of course. I was there, you, yes. Yeah. I mean, that actually was my first season as an Albion supporter. So youngsters. I, I, I get that, yeah. I mean, I had very limited perspective, and I thought, this is how these games are always finished, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my number one memory was just how desperately, desperately cold it was that day. Um... I th towards the end, I, I don't care who scores. I just want to go. Oh, I want to get back to the car. I want to get warmed up. And that's very, very negative. I know, but uh, that that was my strongest memory. Um, I remember the the away support wasn't terribly large, and we were in those rather unpleasant low pens behind the goal, uh, rammed in. You know, high fences, couldn't see very much. Uh, I, I think we were collectively shivering through much of the game. <laughs> One memory I'll never forget is, of course, the Man United goalkeeper was Gary Bailey then, and he came down to us because they were defending from our end, second half, and he did a little mime, and prompt you mime, 
trying to uh, trying to say because it was three three and he's like forgotten what the score was, which I thought yeah, that was a really nice thing he, he did. Um, it, it was dramatic, it was, but it was so cold. It really was. <laughs> so, so cold, but such, such yeah. a heartwarming result as well, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Wasn't it? And Lencantello's goal, if I recall, didn't that make Star Soccer's goal of the season? Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was interesting, really, because I mean, um, you know, everybody talks about that, but it was interesting. I was I was with uh, Ron Atkinson um, a few weeks ago uh, at a, a Q and A, and. People asked him obviously about the the five three, and they said, "Was that the best game?" And he said, "No. The one he remembered most of all was the game after, when they beat Bristol City three one at the Hawthorns." Oh yes, and yeah. that was with yeah. the snow boot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody oh, yeah. had known about the snow boot. Uh, Ron had been over to to Germany, I think, to Adidas, and he bought yeah. he bought some of these back with him. And there was a lot of th- talk at the time that the match might not be on. Mm. Uh, because of the frozen pitch. So Ron got Tony Brown to put a pair of these boots on and to go and do his warm-up on the pitch. And when the referee saw it, he didn't realise he got these <laughs> snow boots on. So it's really like, yeah. it's playable, perfectly playable. Um, some of the Bristol City players don't think so. but no, uh, they fell over a lot, didn't they? They fell over <laughs> a lot, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. To, to Ron, he said, you know, 5-3 yeah. was brilliant, although he missed one of the goals. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah. You got it for just a Tony Brown goal just before half time, but he said that the one that gave him most pleasure was that three-one against Bristol City. Mm-hmm. Oh, intriguing! That the fixture list was virtually written off that day. Maybe three games in the whole of the country. That's played. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But Snow it would, boot made all the difference. That's so, right. Yeah. Some, some of our younger listeners may not have picked up what you're saying there about uh, Ron Atkinson missing one of the goals. Yeah, what happened yeah. was that. Um, Albion were trailing 3-2. Yeah. And he was very close to half time. Yeah. And Ron, because he was in the he they didn't sit they didn't, didn't have to sit in the dugout then, they sat in the stand with the in the director's room, in the director's box. And he was making his way back from the director's box to the dressing room to tell them, you know, to sort of keep it going. So when he gets down to the dressing room after going through all the crowds and whatever, the players are already in there. Ron walks in and says, really good lads, now all you got to do is keep it up, because we can get back into this game. Because he sort of thought it was still 3-2. Mm-hmm. He said, we can get back into this game. And the players are looking at him a bit nonplussed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, John Wall said, uh, Gaffer, what are you talking about? He said, well, he says, You'll see, you, you can get an equaliser. He said, we already got it. <laughs> said, we, got, we got it about three seconds before half-time. <laughs> and he said, oh, in that case, go out and beat them. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, they did go out and beat them, yeah. Now, a few stories here from fans who were there that day, and it's starting with the memory of Harry Taylor. I took my son, he was about 12 or 13, and a mate of mine uh, went with us. He wasn't a big footballer, but he's somebody to go and see Man United. And we got here, and we, we didn't intend to stand up with the kids. We worried about, you know, what it might be like stand up. So we came in my car really early. We got here, all the tickets were all sold. So we were walking around the ground, went, went in Lou Macari's fish shop, and this bloke came up to us, this ticket tout, and he got a great big handful of tickets. And he went, tickets, lads? I said, how much? He said, ten quid for the four. And I, I thought, I mean, that's pretty good for you on the time there. I looked at it, it got restricted view. I said, what's that mean? He says, it's just like you're looking through a perfect sheet at the, just missed the corner flag. 
didn't trust it, so we didn't buy them off him. Went all the way around. I said to my mate, we've either got to go and stand up or go home. And he wouldn't stand up with, with his son. So I went back to this bloke and he got a few tickets left. And uh, so we reluctantly had the four tickets. And the, the seats were fantastic. They were on the halfway line. It's right what he said. It was just, it was just the corner flag. And we all know about the score and how it went. And it snowed and a bit of a, so much excitement. Fantastic. And there must have been groups buying them off that bloke because every time the Albion scored we'd all just jump up the 20 people and then another 20 was a bit further across it was really good yeah yeah a bit more from Harry now he's talking with Alan Cleverly and uh, he met Bob and myself uh, a little bit earlier that afternoon um, because it's been recorded because you can watch it every time you want to it shows certainly the best of Lolly Cunningham uh, that one run down the wing is immaculate uh, the skill of Lenny Cantello's goal, it was goal of the season. It, it was a day that doesn't happen very often in your lifetime when you go and see your team win that well at good opposition, but the quality of the goals as well, it, apart from Bombers tapping to make it 3-3, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah, it was fine. It was excellent. Uh, you, just, you just don't know what to say about the game because it was just perfect. It's a perfect game of football from an Albion point of view. The amazing thing, Alan, I wasn't there either because I was on strike. And um, so, I, you know, somebody else went yeah. to, for the, I was with the mail. The most amazing thing about that, though, they finished 5-3. And when you look at the saves that Gary Baylor and Tony yes, Godden yes, made, yes, yeah, it could have easily been 7-6. Yeah, yeah. Cyril could have had three or four goals yeah. in that game. The t- two unbelievable saves from Cyril. You, if you watch the video, he throws his head back in disbelief at the one yeah. save. He knocks it over the bar. You're quite right, Gary Bailey yeah. had a wonderful... Um, that's where Bomber set up his record, if you know the record. He's the only player to score a goal against Roy Bailey, Gary Bailey's father, and, and yeah. uh, Gary Bailey. Father and son, he yeah. scored against both of them yeah. in first division yeah. matches. Yeah. Yeah. As, I, I think the, the, the one moment, as you were saying... The one moment everybody remembers was that run of Laurie Cunningham yes. he just when he outstripped Stuart. I mean, Houston tried to trip him twice yeah. Yeah. and missed him. He wasn't good enough. No. He wasn't even good enough to foul him. That's how good Laurie Cunningham was. And if you believe everybody who said they went there, there were about two hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, indeed. Yeah. The trains would have been packed. On that. <laughs> what about after the game? Did you? Have time for the celebration. I suppose you have to get back. Didn't you, you get back on the coaches yeah. and well, was, you yeah, celebrate on the you right, celebrate yeah. on the coach. You, yeah. You're all together. You you just yeah. don't believe it. Almost we're top of the league, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it was a wonderful time to be an Albion fan. That then that was like the pinnacle, if you if you want to put it like that. I know a lot of people talk about the commentary and you know there's things like Kenneth Wilson. Albion. Yeah. I think it's all over. It is now. Yeah. I always remember Gerald Sinstad when he said, what a goal! What a goal! What a goal! I mean, Ali Brown, unsung hero of that yeah. team, played a wonderful part in that game in two or three of the... He missed a couple of sitters, I have to admit, <laughs> himself, but nevertheless he played a wonderful part in the goals. Um, very underrated player was Ali Brown. Yeah. But not by the players on the pitch. If you talk to Cyril and people like that, yeah, he did my running for me yeah. and all the rest of it. Great times, great times. Great times indeed. Now, if you were an Albion fan that couldn't get to that, that game, you'd have probably been gutted, as they say. And uh, one fan who didn't quite get to the game here is Jim Good. Uh, by that time, I was going to most away matches on my bike, on my motorbike, I should add. And uh, 
about a month before I'd come off and broke my ankle, but I was just about getting right. Anyway, that morning I kept my bike in my, our entry, as it was. This is still down Great Worley, where, where I live now, like. And uh, took my bike outside, come back in the house, got all my gear on. When I went out, it was covered in snow. Well, because of what's happened previously, breaking my ankle down, I, I wouldn't risk it. So uh, I miss, I miss it. Everybody wished that had been there. Kind so of what, what were you thinking then when you found out what the result was? Oh, just, just <laughs> mad. Well, we, we, hadn't, we hadn't got a cat then because I'd already kicked, <laughs> I'd already kicked it out of the window for, uh, for, for losing another match, like you know, or losing in a match. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, Jim Good there now. Now, Jim also told me of another great funny story, not related to that game, but related to another great, fabulous Albion performance back in the day in 1993 when the Albion beat Wolves 3-2. Back in the days when we all had milkmen, my mate, Bill, Bill Walkman, his name was, he was a dingle. And, of course, we wouldn't see each other other than a Saturday, we'd leave each other notes in the, in the milk bottle. Anyway, it was when we beat the Wolves 3-2, and I put in the, in the milk bottle 3-2, and he left me 32 bottles of milk. <laughs> 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 yeah. And he did, he did, yes, yes, yeah. He come back and collected them later, like, you know, but he left me 32 just, just bottles joke, of milk. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great one, isn't it? That? Oh, okay. oh, absolutely amazing. It's so, it's, so, it's so black country as well. <laughs> yeah, great. Now, one player who's never bottled out of a oh. challenge. Oh. It was uh, Artem Sakiri. And you remember in our last programme, we spoke with him and he gave us his memories of playing for West Bromwich Albion. Now, of course, he's well known for scoring for his country. Remember? Famous goal he scored yeah. North for North Macedonia, and what what did he do? Famously, famous corner. Oh, straight in, straight in oh, yeah. the corner you, yes. against corner, David yeah. Seaman. Yeah. When, uh, yeah. shall we put it politely, he put the ball over David <laughs> Seaman, shall we say, <laughs> yeah. in uh, October in two thousand and two, and obviously that's something that Artin remembers. I'm Artin Sekiri, known the Russell Club, and thank you for coming to visit. Here in uh, in Skopje, in Macedonia, I have a great memory from uh, West Bromwich Albion, and I hope soon they will be back where it belongs. Merry Christmas to Albion fans! We can't end this conversation. We're not talking about a certain goal that you scored against England. October 16, mm-hmm. uh, it was 2002, Southampton. So go on. What was it? Was it planned or not? Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'll tell a little bit story about this. Uh, everyone was thinking that uh, we lose badly th- that game. The guys who was, was leading us from UK, he was like sitting on the bus, and I was sitting on with him on front of the bus, and uh, he was saying, "This is really serious. You're going to lose five minutes." I said, "No, he will see after we talk after the match." We started really well that uh, the game. The coach. Did perfect job that uh, he put uh, young players who wanted to run, and uh, three, four players who was more experienced player that uh, can use the brain and uh, get results. But I was just enjoying the game, enjoying the football because I love it football to to play. 
uh, we scored, I scored against uh, the team directly from the corner. Uh, we had some joke with uh, Gary Maxon about that goal because he was saying like it was like windy that game that when you score. <laughs> I said yeah yeah you can try now with windy try if you can score but I, I do. Uh, we was laughing on that. Um, I was training that a uh, few times uh, during the training here and uh, not just uh, with the national team even with uh, with the clubs because always uh, we. I train extra on uh, free kicks and corners and uh, doing crossing on this. And that is my third goal, scoring from the corner. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. But two of them, they are with, uh, with the team in Macedonia. So mm-hmm. it's not uh, on that high level like it was against one of the best keepers uh, in, in the world, I can say. Uh, David Seaman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, it's not just like the best, he's the tallest one was, and to score from there. Mm-hmm. When uh, Scholes was on the second post of the goal, mm-hmm. it was really magnificent. It was perfect. So I'm, I was really happy, but uh, I didn't enjoy much because uh, you score and the game con- go on, goes on. So mm-hmm. you have to think about playing. That's, yeah. uh, I didn't think about much about that. We have 80 minutes to play. Uh-huh. It was just like 10 minutes of the match. Yeah. And uh, we go on playing and we did perfect very well nobody was expecting and uh, it was really big celebration that because uh, for the first time we get this result against uh, biggest team mm-hmm. in the world you've been Sydney. a hero in Macedonia for that goal well uh, I didn't saw the people here were celebrating that uh, if you ask support, they will let you know that uh, yeah. I don't want to talk about myself on this thing but uh, <laughs> That time was they were sitting on uh, city center watching on a big screen the game and there really was uh, happy people that uh, we drew for the goal and uh, yeah. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, you you got family and friends as well presumably that were watching the game. They were really excited. Well, they was really excited. They was really and uh, they couldn't be- nobody could believe that we got this result against them. And after they was talking much about the uh, goal from the corner. Yeah, brilliant, that isn't really something to be proud of that. And of course, why shouldn't he talk about it, even if it was against England? This is the Throstle Club with Norman Bartlam and Bob Downing. Now, of course, Christmas Day football was always a great time for the clubs and the games attracted huge crowds o- over the years. Albion first played a Christmas Day in 1905 and one of our keen listeners, Mark Barrett, anticipating that we'd be mentioning Christmas games, has done a bit of research and he's unearthed a great news cutting from 1905 from the Midland Chronicle. That was your paper, wasn't yeah, it, Bob? Yeah, was. you, you weren't quite around. No, well, I wasn't around at the time, no, thanks, Norm. <laughs> just, uh, just sort of make that yeah. clear for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, and the article goes on to say how uh, satisfied the Albion directors were with that, with there uh, being a big crowd, and he bought in gate receipts of no less than 450 quid. Wow. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Money. Yeah, and there's 18,000 people there in the crowd, and they got 450 quid in. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Albion's last uh, Christmas Day game was in uh, 1956 when we beat Newcastle United 1 0. And Alan and Harry, who we met earlier, were both at that game those many years ago. 
So the last Albion game on Christmas Day itself was in 1956, wasn't it? When you, you were there, Harry, and you were there, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. So any memories of going out on Christmas morning? Did you resent having to go to a match on Christmas morning? No, no, was I, I, looking I was looking to forward to it. It's something different. Yeah. You know, I, I can't think how I got there. I was a, I'm sorry, a coach. I don't well, I would, have, I would have walked, and that's yeah. probably why I wasn't too happy about yeah. it, because I've got all my toys yeah. to play with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, because 11 o'clock kick-off, I'd got to start out at 9. That's right. That's right. You know, so you hadn't long got yeah. out of bed and opened all your presents and then you get getting dressed. And yeah. <laughs> now, there was, there was a sense of excitement in the ground, walking up to the ground, especially, you know, uh, yeah. excited kids, new scarves, new hats, whatever. No women. You know, and there was that sense of excitement, but the crowd, and that was probably why uh, it started to finish after that, because of the 13 and odd thousand in the ground. So... In- Normally there would have been big crowds in years yes. gone by, but that started to dwindle. Especially against Newcastle. You yeah. know, they always had big crowds, 30-odd thousand, 40,000 against Newcastle on a normal normal uh, weekend. Yeah, what about you, Harry? What about the thought of going out on Christmas Day? You were quite happy with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was great. I, was, I, was, I think I was about 15, so it was, I went with a couple of my mates from school. and really. I remember... Six of our man, all, all the blokes were all smoking cigars. Yes, at the, oh, yeah. the match, and well, they'd all uh, have Christmas presents. Yeah, and, yeah. There was, and, and I don't think there was any women there. They must have been like having to back home cooking the dinner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, we won one nothing. Ray Barlow scored the goal. Yeah, and the next day we played them away at uh, at Newcastle and lost five two. I think it was. Yeah, think yeah. It, was, yeah, yeah. it was five two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The interesting thing, yeah. Al. And, and and Harry, you know when when, you, you, when they played on Christmas Day, I mean they they played the reverse fixture on the yeah. Boxing Day, didn't yes. they? Yes. So I mean, was that was there any transport on Christmas Day? Not hey? a great deal. Not a great no, deal. No, no. There, were, there were special trains. Yeah. That that was about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, very few. The odd coach, but nothing at all really. Because I I heard a story that you can Harry and uh, Alan can obviously. You know, confirm this or see if it was right. There, there was one game, one year, when Albion played Newcastle on the Christmas Day at Newcastle. This was about the 1940s, and then Albion, the reverse fixture at the Albion on the Boxing Day. And I, I don't know. Somebody told me that at the at the end of the game in Newcastle, which I think there was about 40,000 there, both teams came back to West Bromwich together. Because they were playing the reversing, and I think they got on the train together. Now that must have been a train that was put specially on. Yeah, there were special trains. Yes. Whether I can't confirm about the teams coming on the trains together, but no. there were there were trains. It was the only way you'd have ever got to the yeah. way match back then, especially in the forties with petrol restrictions on the coaches yeah. and everything. Yeah. What what time did the Boxing Day match? The one you were talking about, you know, in fifty six. What time boxing did the Boxing Day, Day kick off? We're back to three o'clock. Oh, Back to three o'clock. I remember many but, boxing. Well, the day Christmas games. Day ones would have been in the morning. Yeah, they? yeah. again because, like you mentioned, there was there's virtually no ladies in the in in the ground. Not that they came that much in those days, but the ones that were at home, they were cooking Christmas lunch for when you got home. Absolutely. Now you'd say that was all sexist today, wouldn't you? But of course, back back in the day, that 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 was the way it was, isn't it? It's yeah. a, almost a tradition, really. <laughs> they, we we're talking earlier about the great attendances on Christmas Day, Bob. Yeah, I mean, I've just had a, a quick look at some of the Albion games and um, 1946, 
Christmas Day 1946, which I might add is four days before I was born. Oh, right. <laughs> were you there then? I wasn't there, no. Oh, Neither yeah. was my mother. <laughs> um, but uh, <coughs> Albion played Newcastle United on Christmas Day at Newcastle. And they won 4-2. And there was attendance of 44,772. Now, yeah. at that time, it was a reverse fixture the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And from what I can gather, the Albion players and supporters and the Newcastle players and supporters all got on the same train <laughs> to come back to West Bromwich. Because, I mean, there was no motorways. Or, no, you know, no, so that, apparently they came back on the same train. And the following day, Albion won 3-2. And the attendance? 52,701. Oh, wow. My God. Which just shows, you know, that... At that time, I mean, it was just after the war. I mean, it, it was, you know, sort of football was really getting back into the swing of things. And you look back, the t on the 28th of December that year, Albion played Swansea. 34,933. Oh. And that was away. That was at Swansea. Mm. You know, and then you look back again, 1948. Sheffield Wednesday. 34,881. They didn't play on the Boxing Day because it was a Sunday. Nobody played on a Sunday. Mm. So on the 27th, yeah. Albion lost 2-1 at, at Hillsborough. 59,857. Oh. <laughs> and that and it just showed you, really. Yeah. I mean, and now they're talking, you know, they're, they're talking about matches being played over the Christmas period now. I mean, I, don't, I can't just ever going back to Christmas no, Day. No, no, no. no, no never no, again. No, 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 no. Not, not even Sky would want to play on no, Christmas Day. No, no, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe they I, would. I don't know. <laughs> maybe they would. Yeah, 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 I, they'll have an 8 o'clock kick-off on Christmas Day. Yeah, yeah. In the morning. 8 a.m. <laughs> but that just shows you how popular football, football was, was at the time. Yeah. Now, uh, one... Set of results on a Boxing Day in particular really stand out, and it's exactly 60 years ago. This, this Boxing Day, that's if you get your fingers out, yeah. I was, I remember this, it's 1963. I remember this, yeah. And it's astonishing that day because there were 66 goals in 10 games. God, can you imagine that? 66 goals in 10 games, yeah. and uh, no, can you imagine what no. the excitement must have been like at Broadcasting House when Eamon Holmes, Eamon, not Eamon Holmes, oh, Eamon, Eamon, Eamon Andrews, Andrews, Andrews. Eamon Andrews was going to introduce Sports Report that day, and the headlines probably went something a bit like this, I suppose. 66 goals are scored in 10 games as the football world goes crackers. Fulham hit 10, Blackburn score 8, and both Stoke and Manchester United are hit for 6. All the details coming up, but first the classified football results, read by Bob James Alexander Gordon Bennett Downing. <laughs> First Division, Blackpool 1, Chelsea 5, Burnley 6, Manchester United 1, Fulham 10, Ipswich Town 1. Leicester City 2, Everton 0. That must have been boring. <laughs> Liverpool 6, Stoke City 1. Nottingham Forest 3, Sheffield United 3. Sheffield Wednesday 3, Bolton Wanderers 0. West Bromwich Albion 4, Tottenham Hotspur 4. West Ham United 2, Blackburn Rovers 8. Wolverhampton Wanderers 3, Aston Villa 3.
That's mightily impressive, but, may I say that? <laughs> I don't think he'd have said on the telly that they might have been bored on that one. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think they were allowed to give their own opinion. No, 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 no definitely not. <laughs> but an astonishing uh, set of results there. Yeah, I mean, it, you just think if you, you know, sort of uh, newspapers of the time, sixty. If you're covering that game for the for the Argus or something like that, Albion four, Tottenham four. And you, you know, you, you were getting results coming through from everybody else, and it, it must have been absolutely fantastic just dream part of it. It m- would have been a nightmare if you're editing yeah. the sports. Oh, oh that yeah, night, well, I, I mean, <laughs> how many times would they have changed intros then on four four? Fantastic, fantastic. I mean, the ten—that's easy. Yeah, you know, because by by the time they got seven, you know, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, eight with Blackburn Rovers, you knew that was over. But three, three, Forest and Sheffield United. Blackpool won Chelsea five. I mean, oh yeah, you know, you can see that coming. But you know, it, it, it must have been fantastic. I mean, to actually been there must have been great. Yeah. I, I wasn't there, but uh, again, I always, I always miss the good <laughs> games. <laughs> don't I? Yeah, I yeah. Anyway, some think you probably were at Wembley nineteen ninety three, Bob. Yeah, yeah, another great Albion memory now. The playoff final from 30 years ago, and a memory of a man who scored the opening goal that day when Albion beat Port Vale at Wembley, none other than Andy Handy Hunt. Hi, this is Andy Hunt. Merry Christmas to all you Albion fans out there listening on the Throstle Club, and uh, we look forward to an excellent second half to the season. Well, I think I, I almost feel like we did the hard work in the previous two games. Yeah. And um, I don't want to say that Wembley was an anti-climax. Of course, it wasn't. But it, it felt easy. I, don't, I mean, I, I guess if you watch the game, it was easy. We won it convincingly, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that, that, um, that, 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 our, that our, our I think that having Ozzy Ardilis as our, um, our manager, who'd been through a lot of extremely high-level games of winning the World Cup and you know the FA Cup and stuff like this with Spurs, um, we had a manager that was that knew how the build-up and process of that game was going to go, the Wembley final. And he was able to relieve the pressure from us, uh, from the players, to keep it off of our shoulders and keep ev- everything kind of light and happy. Because we could have gone into training every day with a sort of, you know, grimace on our face and let's let's do this and this and this. But he kept everything fairly relaxed. And, and uh, I think we knew we were going to win that game. I think we knew it. I think we knew we were going to win at Wembley. Well, the fans certainly knew we were going to win it, especially after that sending off earlier in the game. It was one of the best games I think you say you've ever been to, so Oh, the best Albion games, yeah. You, know, you dream of being going to Wembley. It's a 23-year wait for me. So, And after that goal, I almost went over the balcony. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at the front row. And yeah, I was up, I was up, and almost went over that balcony. It could have been very messy. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Well, let's move on now. And a great, unique memory of this now from one of our older listeners, Rex Edwards, who's in his early 90s and counting. And uh, he was lucky enough to be able to go to Mexico in 1970 for the World Cup. That would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? 
And it was even better for him that he met up with his hero, West Bromwich Albion's Jeff Astle. And he, he met him at a training ground there. And uh, he still owns the photograph that he took on that day with his son, Scott. Now, you've got a brilliant photo here. So describe this photo, then. How, how did it come about? Oh, OK. Well, um, going every day to the Ajax Club was fairly easy for me. I didn't really have to do anything except sit there and watch. But um, I just uh, did enjoy watching all of the players, from Bobby Chott to Jeff, the whole lot, and um, wanted to uh, somehow get a hold of my special player because it, was, it wasn't just a, um, somebody playing for England like Mason Mount now or somebody like that, you know. It's just... Um, so in such a big thing. I mean, those players have been together for uh, Roger Hunt and Nobby Stiles, all of them, they've been together for such a long time. A brilliant, brilliant team. There's one or two out here, like Terry Cooper and that, but. Uh, and for Jeff Astle to get amongst that, for me, was just uh, the, the wonderful. And um, I just wanted to get a picture of my son at the age of eight, with, uh, with him there, you know, and um, uh, stood right outside. They didn't, nobody stopped me, nobody, nobody took, was nasty with me or anything, and just let me, let me stand there. And as soon as he came out, I just asked him just lightly, I said, Jeff, will, I, will you take a picture with my eight-year-old son? And he said, oh, of course, and that's the result. And um, when I got back to the UK, I um, got, went to the Hawthorns and... Uh, put it into the office to start with and uh, one of the officials came out and said yes we'll, they'll do it for me and d did it. You got him to sign it? Yeah, got him to sign it yes and yeah. it's now on my son's wall in Pride of Place in uh, Ipswich where he lives and he's age 61 now. He must have been amazed when well, you came up to uh, the He wasn't camp, so amazed. He, mm -hmm. he was, no he wasn't actually. It was strange. I was. More, more perplexed, Riley. He didn't really say anything to me. He just said, "Of course I will." That's all. He was a real gentleman and lovely. And I, I just, um, you know, one was reluctant to approach players like that. You know, I never, I never collected autographs or anything like that at all. And um, was never able to attend many away games or anything. But I just felt that I, I wanted that picture badly. You know, and. Uh, I, I, I can't even, so he didn't say much. He was a bit taken aback. That was, I think there was anybody from the West Midlands or in those days Warwickshire there, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just, I think he was amazed. So that was it. For me, it was a big, real big deal. But for Scott, he's just a little boy, really. He, he was experienced. He could talk about now going back and like I am with you. But I don't think he realised how. How big a deal it was, really, yeah. at the time. Yeah, some uh, g great memories there from uh, Rex. And, of course, at, at the time when something like that's going on, Bob, you don't realise how historic it occasion it no. is, really. And, and no, to be able never. to look back on that, uh, very few people can say they've met Jeff Astle in Mexico, Mexico like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a fantastic memory. And, and for his son, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, that, that's something, you know, like everything else, that's a photograph they will treasure. Indeed, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, talk, talking of older fans, uh, once again, he's... Why are you looking at me yeah, again? <laughs> I certainly wasn't. I was looking towards oh, Billy, actually. <laughs> 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 yeah, talking of older fans, here's another memory from Ken Lord, who's been on our 
programme in the past. He's a mere youngster, really, though. He's only in his 80s. No. But he's got a great memory which has passed down to him through the family from his great-great-granddad from the early 1900s. He used to tell me, when I fly the villa, it was a bit antagonistic then, as it always been. There's no transport. I fly down the villa, Perry, down the villa. Perry Bar. Perry Bar. Yeah. And they asked to get them there in the open court. It's not because good. And that's why got the hands of water. They were on this open cloth to get to the park. He said I was pelted with everything. <laughs> oh, I was up, hold on. Then he said, Little the fans get a hold on. Old cabbages, things like that. And that was it. When this, the chair match came, and Villa came to see the Tony Lane to play them, it happened exactly the same. And they got us walking through. West Bromwich Oil Street, to get to Tony Lane, they got the same reception. <laughs> so eventually, they just thought, hang on, we're going to have this, and they found a different way of getting there, they went the back way. <laughs> then when they all been, did the same, the police then, or peelers as they called them in them days, they used to go out in, you know, for the, for the force, for the reflection, and they, Escorted them north of the ground. That's brilliant, isn't it? But uh, rivalry with the villa obviously goes back a long way, doesn't yeah. it? And I, I always thought it started when we sent them down, but yeah. obviously not. <laughs> I just hope Steve Bruce isn't listening because he might not like the reference <laughs> to the cabbages there. I think. <laughs> now, one of my favourite stories here about uh, Bobby Gould, and it's told to us by uh, the great Wayne Faraday of something to do with that motivational technique, shall we say, of Bobby Gould. Oof, yes, let's do Gildy. Uh, eccentric is a word that lots of people use. What word would you use? That's a, that's a good word. That's a good word for Bobby. Um, yeah, uh, I could probably... Um, I think I think that's probably him, in a nutshell, eccentric, <laughs> yeah. Because um, I will always hold him in high esteem because he's the guy who got me to the Albion. He's the guy that got me out of a horrible situation which I had at Bournemouth with Harry Redknapp, um, which wasn't great. Uh, but as soon as I knew it was West Brom, um, that was it. I wanted to go because I wanted to be there as a kid and through. Um, when I was watching Big Cyril and Brendan and all the Laurie, all these guys. So all of a sudden... Bobby Gould wants me at West Brom, so I'm going. Forget it, I'm, I'm there. Um, yeah, uh, but obviously it wasn't the best time for the club. Um, didn't really matter to me because I was at the club. So, But obviously being a fan as well, I obviously wanted the best for the club, but I'm there now as a player, great. I always wanted that. Um, but it wasn't the best time for the club um, and everybody involved. And some of the... Like you say, some of the things over the years that um, I remember things like when we, after the game on the Saturday, win, lose, or draw, he was, he, he did a lot of um, back then videos, obviously it was VHS videos, he used to video the game 
and we'd be in the changing room and he'd get us to watch the, the game. And obviously as a player, you know how you played and you know bits of the game when you did okay and when you did wrong and when you did good things. And um, But Bobby would he'd play the video and he'd, he'd make sure we were all quiet and he would say, um, and then if you knew as a player coming up, you any second there you've done something wrong. So you know it's coming and he would literally stop the VHS, he would stop the video and he'd come into your face and go, what should you have done then? <laughs> he would literally face you up and say, so what should you have done then? And you, you would go, Bobby, yeah, um, boss, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that, but next time, okay, I'll do that. And he was a, he used, he used to do things like that, which at times was, was quite scary, I must admit it was when he's in your face. Um, but then sometimes it was funny. Uh, but then sometimes over the years, when I think it was Big Westy, Big Colin West. Um, I think with Westy in the change room, yeah, with Westy in the change room, it was a situation like that. And uh, I don't know if it was Westy that said to Bobby, all right, if you want to have a go, have a go, let's get the gloves on. Or Bobby said to Westy. But if it was Bobby, he must have regretted it after because I remember they had a few few little digs at each other and Westy was quite a big lad and uh, I think he I think he stuck a couple of blows on Bobby in the changing room I remember it I remember that time yeah so um eccentric was a good word for uh for so Bobby were you there at the time then with that yeah yeah I was so, I was there at the time so part of you probably wanted to sneak over what was going on in others you been shocked, I suppose. I think I think a lot of us, I think all of us in the changing room at the time, it was yes, a bit of both. Um, shocked that because I'm sure it was Bobby now thinking about it, saying to Westy, "Look, if you want to have a pop of me, come on, let's go then." Uh, and Westy obviously took the opportunity to get a bit of frustration out. Uh, and I think obviously when Westy uh, caught Bobby a couple of times, we were all like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, let's whoa, let's call this." Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was weird. It was a weird um, scenario. But there's been lots of lots of them over the years in football in the changing rooms I've been in. Uh, that was just one of them. Well, I'm sure we could fill a whole program of uh, stories about Bobby Cole. Oh yeah, have a good special. Now in our last program, we met David Butler, the youth team player back in the late '60s, and we promised you that we'd tell of his later career, which really took off in the United States. Now this month it's exactly 50 years since you played your last game in England because mm-hmm. after have because you went to Workington and it was there in April 1974 when you played against Scunthorpe and what turned out to be your last ever game but presumably you didn't realise it was at the time because there was still no. a few more games to go in the season yeah. Yeah. but did you know you were going to be leaving at the end of the season? Well I think basically I think I, I, I did know I was going to be sort of leaving because that was only alone that was just a, a long period and um, and what happened is at the end of the season um, Alan Durbin said look do you fancy going to America um, he said because they're starting a league the North American Soccer League and they're looking for some young players to you know fill the rosters mm-hmm. and I said sure you know put my name down and uh, we'll see what happens and um, Obviously, I was sort of uh, 
just helping my dad in the chip shop at uh, Wensbury and basically the phone rang and it was uh, Seattle's agent mm-hmm. over here in um, England and basically said um, would you be interested Dave we've got your name from the FA uh, would you be interested in coming to Seattle to play in the North American Soccer League and you'd only been about what 20 21 at that I stage I was 20 well. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and basically um, I said, well, yeah, have I got much time to think about it? And he said, well, I think it was a, I think it was a, a Monday. And he said, yeah, think about it, because uh, we want you on the plane on Friday. <laughs> um, we, we, uh, we're playing in Washington on Saturday, and we'd like you, you know, to be there. So uh, it went that quickly, and, you know, if you think back, a 20-year-old packing your bags, going to Washington on your own um, and basically I had to get a taxi from Washington Airport about 40 miles to the hotel to meet the team there and um, that was quite an experience and that was the uh, that was the start of the American um, adventure. Wow, that's astonishing. Yeah. But what about your mates back home, what were they thinking? Well, as you say... You and know, your parents as well? Well, you know, obviously, again, um, I suppose, really, you know, you, your parents think, um, what an opportunity, you yeah. know, even if it doesn't last. Yeah. And obviously, I, I, I was with Patricia then as well. Yeah. And obviously, you know, well, obviously, she was a little bit upset, but, you know, you have to do these things in life. And um, But I, I would imagine as well that you're going from working to Seattle, I would imagine your wages were a bit... A bit, a, a, well, I a think, bit better. I think if I can remember, obviously I was still a player at uh, Shrewsbury, obviously, but yeah. I was in, on, under contract. Um, and I think I was earning £40 a week uh, at Shrewsbury. And I went from £40 a week to the equivalent of £100 a week in America. So, uh, you know... It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> and obviously the first, the first year you're there, obviously they provide you with a car, they provide you with... Uh, a flat or whatever um, so yeah so in your team then in, in Seattle there were a few well known names from England like Mike England for instance yeah super I mean you just go back to that uh, 1977 um, final uh, against the New York Cosmos I, you know who, who basically is quite funny because they're guys that I suppose well, your sort of heroes, my sort of heroes, when you're 20 year old and, and you, these guys are coming. Uh, Mel Machin was fullback. He was uh, obviously manager of Man City and uh, Norwich and an elegant footballer. Mike England, the Tottenham and former Wales manager. Um, you know, the list goes on. Um, a couple of guys from Bournemouth, Mickey Cave, and. and you know, it was a great team, a great team. A couple of Scottish lads, Jockey Scott and Gordon Wallace, and um, yeah, it was a nice team. We had a great team. But the opposition, you casually mentioned to me earlier, Beckenbauer, you just mentioned him in passing, and so it's like an everyday thing, and I'm thinking, wow, you played against Beckenbauer. But, yeah. but, but we're looking at this brilliant photograph here, and there's you with Bottle on the back of your shirt, mm-hmm. and next to you in this action shot, it says, what's it say, pay... P E L, yeah, some guy, Pele. Yeah. yeah, some guy called Pele. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, the, 
you know, that was a, you know, I played against him before in Seattle at the Memorial Stadium, but uh, obviously playing in the final of the North American Soccer League, you know, Pelé, Beckenbauer, and they had Carlos Alberto, the Brazilian fullback. <laughs> um, there was a guy in midfield who a lot of people wouldn't know, it was a guy called Bokacevic, and he was a classy six foot three midfielder they had a fantastic goal scorer italian called giorgio chinaglia <laughs> yeah. um, and then also again a guy called stevie hunt you know, from, <laughs> yeah. who actually went back to albion didn't he yeah, when he yeah. came back so right. but as you say you know uh, when you start thinking about um, you know the following year 1978 you know bobby moore came to join us and um <laughs> One of the most fantastic... Your eyes are popping out of you. But one yeah. of the most, you know, um, things which I'll always remember for the rest of my life is, um, you know, Bobby Moore come up to me and said, look, if I get a team in England, you can come and play for me, um, which for me was a fantastic, mm. um, you know, thing to say. But we all know, uh, I don't think Bobby was treated how he should have been treated, no. um, you know, as the captain. And he would never apply for a job. Um, and nobody ever took him on, really. I think he did a spell at Southend, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. And he ended up writing for some, like, Daily Star. Daily Star, or yeah. something. Or Sport, like wasn't it? The uh, sport, yeah. Daily, Daily so, yeah. yeah, and, you know, just off the cuff, you know, I, I played indoor against George Best when he was with LA. And... Um, <laughs> You know, also, I played with him uh, indoor, indoor football. Um, you know, I, I, it's just hard to think, really, of, uh, you know, the you know, Cruyff and Neeskins. And, um, <laughs> it's, like it, a, it's like a soccer who's who, this is. A it world is, soccer who's who. It, it is, it, you know, and, and I, as you know, I, I don't. I don't really talk about it and like when you guys come you know and you start talking it, it just brings back the memories and you start reliving I'll tell you something David if it had been me I'd never stop talking about it. <laughs> that's right yeah but uh, as you say it was a uh, and that's like I said to you before that's why I just um, I don't regret my decision for going there and did, I, I think as we talk I think you realize why you know did, did you ever get the sort of thing of a shirt swap well yeah um, it's funny you should say that. I, I mean, let's face it. The final whistle goes. It's like a swarm, isn't it, round Pelé and Beckenbauer? But from the, one of the things I remember was that um, after that game, the, the final, Pelé actually gave his shirt to our young left back called Jim McAllister, who was what they call a rookie. It was his first year, and he played ever so well against a guy called Tony Field. Remember him mm. from Sheffield. Uh, he played all really well against him. He gave him his shirt. And when we went back in 2017, uh, Jimmy hosted a barbecue for all our lads. And he was telling us that he's had to put the shirt in a vault. Because you think it's Pelé's last competitive game. <laughs> Somebody offered him $250,000 for it. So he's had to Blimey. put it in a vault. And uh, good luck to you, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a nice little pension, isn't it? It's just astonishing, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know Pele obviously was coming towards the end of his career, that's no doubt with Beckenbauer, but what must you have thought when you thought you were going to be playing against them? I, I just can't imagine it. it. It's one of those things which you probably talk to other players as well. You know, when, 
when you run out onto that pitch, you, you don't think about who you're playing against. You just think of how we're going to play our game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not till really after you finish playing and you start talking to guys like yourself, um, what you've done and what you've achieved and who you've played against, you, you, that's when you start thinking, bloody hell, you know. And I'll tell you a little story. The following year, I, I told you Bobby Moore came to join us. Pelé had finished, but he was still involved in promotions. I mean, we played in New Jersey, and uh, which again is the American football stadium. And, uh, oh God, they thrashed us 4-1, I think. But uh, I walked up the stairs to the bar. Um, fantastic. I looked to the left, and there's our Scottish guy saying, drink, give me a drink, give me a drink. And I looked to the right, and there's Pelé and Moro. <laughs> and so I thought, I know which way I'm going. <laughs> and I, went, I went to the right, and uh, here's me in the middle, Pelé here, and Bobby Moore to my right. And you... You, you can see all these eyes are transfixed mm -hmm. on these two players and Pelé just goes and there's a drink for me and there you know you're thinking I didn't think at the time but now you think God mm -hmm. you know like you're here Pelé and you're Bobby Moore and you're, you're thinking I'm having you know with these two legends just after the game and you know there's in moments like that throughout the time I was with Seattle you know it's crazy, but you know that's uh, that's the way it went, really. Amazing. What a fabulous, fabulous career there. Yeah, that, it was uh, brilliant. Uh, David ended up having there in the United States. That's brilliant. Now, unfortunately, this isn't brilliant, but we've run out of time. Oh, oh gone, dear. It's gone, it's gone yeah. really, really quick again, hasn't it? So uh, we'll be back in the new year with a, a January programme and it's going to be a bit of a, an August special in a way, I think, isn't it, Bob? Because your good mate Rob Bishop is yeah, going to be certainly joining hoping, us. Yeah, we're certainly hoping Rob will be able to join us uh, in January. Um, we had a great time. Yeah, excellent. So uh, th thanks to you, Simon, for, for joining us. And uh, from all of us, Merry Christmas. Merry and, Christmas, uh, everybody. Happy New Christmas. Year.